First Peter chapter two and verse thirteen. First Peter chapter two and verse thirteen. What I want to talk to you about today on this two hundred and forty fifth anniversary of our nation's founding is I want to talk to you about how do we live as Christ centered citizens. How do we live as Christ centered citizens? Recognizing that we as citizens of this land, as Christians, are really citizens of two countries. We're citizens of a temporal nation, the United States, and we are citizens of a forever eternal kingdom, the one that is in our hearts, that's in this church, and the one that is expanding until Christ comes and expands his kingdom to the end of the world, even the end of the universe. We long for that day, but in the meantime, we live and exist as citizens of two nations. And here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 through 17, we are given instructions as people who are citizens of two lands, citizens of two nations. Let's pick up what Peter says there to the elect exiles, as he says in chapter 1, there in verse 13. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. He says this, Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, But as God's slaves, honor everyone, love the brothers and sisters, fear God, honor the emperor. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this particular day where we can gather to celebrate our freedom as a nation, and ultimately, and first of all, our freedom as believers in Christ, calling others, whether in this room or on the internet right now or who knows when in the future Lord to call people to faith in Jesus Christ Lord we gather here today not as people who worship a country but we worship our God who has blessed us with the freedoms of living in this nation and so Lord I pray that you would help us to live as Christ centered citizens in this world that you by your sovereign grace have placed us in this particular moment in this particular season. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm thankful that we live in a nation where we are not dictated by the government how it is that we are to worship. Because we know that there are people and Christians who are suffering in nations around the world whose governments do dictate how it is that they should worship. We think about those who live in Iran. We think about those who live in Saudi Arabia. We think about those who live in China under the thumb or the iron fist, so to speak, of Chairman Xi. We think of those who live in North Korea that don't have the blessings that we have in this nation to gather here publicly and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and to live as free citizens who have the freedom to worship God as as we see fit. 
We thank God that we live in a nation that is of the people, by the people, and for the people, where we live in a nation where we realize that freedom comes at a price, and many men and women throughout our history have paid that price so that we can have the freedoms that we enjoy, some with the price of their freedoms for a season as they served under the direction of our armed forces, under the direction ultimately of the president and our Congress, but then also those who have given their lives to pay for the freedoms that we so enjoy today. And today I want to remind us what it is to live in such a nation. And one of the things that I'm afraid of is that our history is being changed right before our eyes. I won't go into all of the quotes that I could give you today of just some of illustrations of, of how our nation was founded on Christian principles. One of those illustrations is our first Chief Justice, John Jay. The first Chief Justice, John Jay, and let me, let me just share a quote from him on May 13th, 1824. Let's see if it sounds any different than what we experienced today. May 13th, 1824, he was serving... Uh, he actually was serving. He was, the, he was the chief justice of the Supreme Court, and he also served as the president of the American Bible Society. <laughs> Interesting. Let me share with you what he said. He says the following. By conveying the Bible to people thus circumstanced, we certainly do them a most interesting kindness. We thereby enable them to learn that man was originally created and placed in a state of happiness, but becoming disobedient was subjected to the degradation and evils which he and his posterity have since experienced. The Bible will also inform them that our gracious creator has provided for us a redeemer in whom all the nations of the earth shall be blessed that this Redeemer has made atonement for the sins of the whole world and thereby reconciling the divine justice with the divine mercy and has opened a way for our redemption and salvation. And that these inestimable benefits are of the free gift and grace of God, not of our deserving nor in our power to deserve. End quote. (laughs) That's the first Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States. And my, how far we have gone away from that. We're living in a nation that is increasingly hostile to the gospel. We're living in a nation where we are drifting through the waters of antipathy towards the gospel, towards right out hostility to the things that we believe and the things that God has said in His words, to the character of our God, to the character of our Christ. Hostility towards these realities. And we wonder, does the Bible have anything to say to a people who are living in a world that is increasingly hostile to Christianity? Does the Bible have anything to say about living in a world where you're living under a government that is increasingly hostile towards the things that you believe in? Does the Bible say anything about that? Or does Peter and the other writers of Scripture have to imagine what a world would be like if that were to be the 
case. Oh no, no. Right here in 1 Peter chapter 2, we have instruction to Christians who are living under a hostile regime. Interestingly enough, Peter is writing these words to a Christian to a to a group of Christians to a church who are living under the thumb of Rome who are actually living under the hostilities of Caesar Nero he did not have to guess what it would be like to have a government that is against you he didn't have to guess what it would be like to live under a power that said you will bow your knee to Caesar or you will pay with your life In fact, that is exactly the situation that he was writing to. And as he writes these words, we, thousands of years later in this nation, are given instructions of how we are to live as Christ-centered citizens. The first instruction that we have from Peter here in this great letter is Christ-centered citizens submit to God-ordained authority. Christ-centered citizens Submit to God-ordained authority. We see that in verse 13. He says in a command form, submit to every human authority. Why? Because of the Lord. Or your version might say, for the Lord's sake. Whether to the emperor as to the supreme authority or to the governors as those sent by him to punish those who do what is evil and praise those who do what is good. So how do we deal with a godless Caesar? Here Peter begins his discussion of Christ-centered citizens by saying that we are to submit ourselves to every human authority. Didn't Peter know what kind of authority we would live under a godless authority? Oh yes, he knew exactly what it would be like to live under a godless authority. In fact, he knew what it was like to live in a society, a Roman society, that was characterized by a world that was awash in homosexuality, infanticide, government corruption, abuse of women, immorality, and violence. Does that sound like anyone, any nation you've ever heard of? It sure sounds like the one that you turn on the nightly news and watch what happened that day. Peter is writing to a nation that is not very much different from our own. Now we know that all human government, while it is established by God to control and restrain evil, using the power of the sword to be a blessing to those who do good and to punish those who do evil, we do know that that the government in this world is led by fallen and sinful human beings. And ultimately, we as believers are called to submit to God as our first authority, but also to the authorities that God has placed in our lives, in the society that would work according to his principles. You can understand why that Peter says this because of what Peter says in verses 9 through verse 12. Look back at those verses with me. He says to the people of God, he says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. You had not received mercy. Now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles, aliens in this world, to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. 
Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day that he visits. In this passage, he calls us a holy nation, an elect nation, a people belonging to God as his own possession. We are sojourners sojourners and exiles. We are just a kingdom passing through. And so the temptation would be for us as Christians to say, we are are part of another nation that is where our allegiance lies we have no allegiances in this world that could be our very real temptation and so maybe even have that temptation today to say that we have no responsibilities at all to the kingdom of this world because we ultimately belong to the forever kingdom but that's not what the bible says The Bible says that we as believers are sovereignly placed by God in a particular season, in a particular time frame, in a particular nation. And while ultimately we are citizens of the forever heavenly kingdom, God in His sovereign goodness has placed us here in this time, in this nation, for such a time as this where we as believers are called to maintain dual citizenships our ultimately allegiance, yes, to God, but at the same time, we are called to be good citizens of the country of which we find our address, of which we find our home, and that, for most of us in this room, is the United States of America. Is yes, our ultimate allegiance is to God, but we also have an allegiance on our right to celebrate the freedoms that we have and take seriously our responsibilities as citizens of this earthly kingdom that is now 245 years old. As citizens of an earthly kingdom, we have responsibilities to that particular kingdom. One of those first responsibilities is to submit to the God-given authorities in our lives. The reason why it's so important for me to preach this right now is because we live in an anti-authoritarian age. One of the greatest concerns I have about our nation is the rise of the spirit of anti-authoritarianism that I don't care what any authority says. I am my ultimate authority. I define what is right and wrong for myself and therefore the ultimate reality rests with my feelings and how I define myself at this particular moment. And that, will own, that spirit will only lead to anarchy. It's rampant in our culture. Where did it begin? The Bible says where it began. It began with Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden decided for themselves what was right and wrong for me. I don't care what God says. Did God really say? I don't know. I don't really care. I'm just going to do whatever I want. And they're defined by their appetites. They're defined by what their desires are in that particular moment rather than be defined by what God says about them. And so ever since then, authority to the fallen has seemed like shackles that chafe our wrists and ankles rather than bring comfort and blessing. So every single person in this world, when we, in our own sinfulness, when we are confronted with God-given authority in our life, we chafe against it, we react against it. In our sinfulness, we rebel against the authorities that God has placed in our lives. But Jesus rescues us from this aversion to authority. And the gospel gives us the power in our lives through submitting ourselves ultimately to the authority of our God and of our Christ. He gives us the power to submit to the authorities and live in right relationship to the authorities He's established in our lives. 
Think about the first authority that you have in your life. It's your parents. And in our society, in our nation, this anti-authoritarianism is displayed in this sense of rebellion in generations against their parents, against the authority that God has designed in the home. Mom and dad. We see rebellion against all kinds of human authorities in our lives. Think about all the authorities that you have in your lives, from parents to teachers to pastors to bosses to police officers to government officials, all given by God as a blessing to us as God-given authorities, not the ultimate authority. They are under authority as well. But as believers, our heart's desire should be to submit to the authorities in our lives. We live in an anti-authority age. And we as a church can be a blessing to our communities by encouraging one another from the youngest ages to submit to the rightful authorities in our lives. Now, what happens when there's a conflict of authorities, when somebody goes against what God says? We'll talk about that here in a minute, if you're thinking about that. (laughs) But the base case, as believers, our heart's desire is to submit to the authorities that God has given in our lives. Our heart's desire is to be able to live in peace and to be able to live with freedom, to be able to do the things that God has said to do and for those things to align with the human authorities that God has placed in our lives. The reason why we do this, the Bible says here in verse 13, is we submit for the Lord's sake. We don't submit because we feel like it, because it's our personality, because we look around and see other people submitting as well. No, we submit in verse 13. It says we submit because of the Lord. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, for the Lord's sake. Why? It's because from the various, very earliest ages, when you learn to submit to the authorities you can see, you are learning to submit to the authorities that you cannot see. The ultimate authority, singular, that you cannot see. And so when we're training our children that you should submit to the rightful authorities in your life, we are ultimately training them about there is an authority that has rightful say over your life, and the ultimate authority is God. And you submit rightfully to Him. Romans 13.1 says this, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. How do we apply this? We cultivate a heart that desires to submit to the authorities in our lives. We teach our children to submit to the authorities that God has placed in their lives, whether it be to their parents or whether it be to their teacher or to their boss. Some of you all understand what that's like to live, work with a coworker who doesn't care what the boss thinks. No, we as believers care and seek to submit to the authorities in our lives, whether it be pastors, whether it be governors, whatever it be. We seek to obey the law of the land. Number two, in this passage, what does it mean to live as Christ-centered citizens? Christ-centered citizens understand the purpose of government. We understand the purpose of government. We see the purpose of government in verse 14. Governors who are sent out by God to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So the purpose of government, the dual purpose of government as established by God is to reward those who do good and to punish those who do evil. The government is given the power of the sword by God to bless those who do good and punish those who do evil. 
Now, society breaks down when the government uses the power of the sword in reverse to bless those who do evil and accurse those who do good. And that is the very danger that we are living in as a society right now, where we are living in a society where as a in a nation that is of the people, by the people, and for the people, is beginning to turn the sword that is given to them by God, by the will of the people, that is given to them by God, turning that sword against those who do good and turning that sword to be a blessing to those who do evil. That's the problem that we're living in as a nation. Romans 13.1 says something very similar. It says, he is God's servant, the government, the governor, is the, the emperor in Paul's day. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger of those, or avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So that is ultimately by God's grace most of the time in our nation and many nations around the world. That is the case that happens. Evil is punished and good is blessed. But there's an underlying assumption of this text, isn't there? There's an underlying assumption of verse 14 that says that there should be a punishment for evil and blessing of praise for those who do good. The underlining assumption of this text is there is a standard of right and wrong that is separate from government, that is eternal and established. In other words, there is such a thing as good and evil that is not defined by society, but is defined by the very character of God who created this world. There is a standard. The only way government can actually work in our society and our world is if we have an unchanging standard of right and wrong as defined by the character of Almighty God. And that's one of the problems that we have in our society today. John Piper once said 27 years ago, he said, if we do away with right and wrong, laws will be without foundation." and will crumble, and all that will be left is anarchy. If you do away with right and wrong, who, do, who does the government use the sword against? That's why relativism is having such an incredible impact on churches and our society today. Because we've confused this situation of definitions of right and wrong, truth and error, reality and fiction, and so we live in a world that's just like a child waving a sword at wherever, and they're cutting it up. That's the world that we're in, that we're facing. We're going quickly to a world that is characterized in the Old Testament by Judges chapter 21, verse 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It was anarchy, it was craziness. That describes increasingly what our nation is like. As Christ-centered citizens in the United States, we don't live under an emperor. We don't live under a dictator or a kingship. We, re we are part of a representative democracy that rules by the consent of the governed. And because of that reality, we as the people of God, Christ-centered citizens in this nation, have a responsibility to do several things. We have a responsibility to speak up and say, there is right, there is wrong, there is good, there is evil. And part of the reality of our nation should be to use the power of the sword to be a blessing to those who do good and to punish those who do evil. And we ought to 
go to the ballot box as believers in this situation, in this land, supporting those who understand the concepts of right and wrong, who understand the concepts of truth and error. We as believers in this situation, in this particular nation, have a responsibility. My prayer is that Christians will begin to run for office. Isn't it exceedingly frustrating when you wish there was a box that said none of the above? (laughs) Amen? (laughs) I pray that's not true in the days ahead. I pray that God would call some of you. Maybe even in your senior years, Maybe even in your high school years, God would put a vision on your heart to be a Christian judge someday. That God would put it on your heart to be a Christian mayor or a Christian school board member or a a Christian representative or a Christian senator or a Christian whatever. But you put your name on it. But God, call people from the church to serve in these areas because we need to be salt and light in the halls of our government, in the benches of our country. God, call Christians to these high roles in our society, whether it be the school board president or the president of the United States. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says that we also should be praying for our government. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead peaceful and quiet lives, godly and dignified in every way. The role of government in society is to punish wrong and to reward right, and we as Christ-centered citizens are called to promote that in this country, in this situation we find ourselves in. Number three is this. Number three, Christ-centered citizens live as free slaves. (laughs) Is that a contradiction? How do you live as a free slave? Where do we find that? Look at verse 15 and 16. Verse 15 and 16 says we are free slaves. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorant of the foolish people by doing good. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. You are free people who are always slaves to God, who are always called to be servants of God using your freedom to spotlight and reflect your God to the world. I love verses in the Bible that say, this is the will of God. How many times do you, teenagers, do you wonder, what is God's will for my life? And oftentimes we're talking about what job do I have? What college do I go to? All of these things that we worry about at that particular age in our life. But here in scripture, we know that there are many statements in the Bible that say, this is God's will for your life. And most of them have nothing to do with your calendar. They have a lot to do with your character. The kind of person you are as you live out your life in Christ. The freedoms that you have in Jesus as you make these life decisions. Here in verse 15 it says, This is God's will for your life. That you submit as free people. Verse 15 not using our freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. We are called as Christ-centered citizens to do good in our society, ultimately for the sake of the gospel. We are to be citizens that it is a blessing for the Tri-Cities that this church is here. 
We ought to live in such a way where this community is glad to have Christian citizens such as this who are such a blessing to our schools, such a blessing to our neighborhoods, such a blessing to our community through our prayers, through our actions, through our service, through our support, through how we love one another in this community and how we preach the gospel that saves That is how we are to be a blessing to this community. In Christ, we have an amazing freedom from sin, and we are to live out that freedom, showing the world what it is like to live as those who have freedom from sin, freedom in Christ, to love and to serve Christ, and to be who He has created us to be. We are to be examples of that ultimate freedom of the kingdom of heaven, living as 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 lights in this kingdom of darkness in this world. That is a high call and responsibility as Christ-centered citizens. In New York City, there, is a, there are several areas of that city that are defined by their ethnic identities. In that particular city in New York City, they have what are called ethnic enclaves. There's Little Manila, where people from the Philippines have gathered together because they have a common language, a common food, a common culture. It's something familiar from the country they come from. There, there's Chinatown, there's Little Italy, there's Koreatown, there's Curry Row, all kinds of different areas of that country where they have a sense of ethnic identity from the country that they came from. I know this because like when I go to when I go to other countries, when I've gone on mission trips, most countries I go at some point to McDonald's. <laughs> Because it's like comfort. It's like, oh, something familiar, even though, you know, it really doesn't taste like it. But, um, <laughs> sorry. The French fries are awesome, right? So, uh, <laughs> but, um, I'm going to go grill out this afternoon. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, going to, not going to McDonald's today. But, um, <laughs> but what they're doing is they're trying to gain a sense of, bring a sense of the past into the present. We as the people of God do the exact opposite. We are to bring life as citizens of a future kingdom into the present. And that's how we live as Christ-centered citizens. We reflect what it is like to live as a citizen of the kingdom to come in the kingdom of the present showing people that the kingdom to come is the kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And if you come be a part of this kingdom because of Christ, it is real freedom. It is real gospel. It is real eternal life. And it's real everlasting meaning. We live as citizens of a future kingdom in this present world. Good citizens of this current Situation that we live in, of course, but ultimately of citizens of a kingdom that is coming. Finally, number four. Christ-centered citizens honor, love, and fear rightly. And don't mix those things up. <laughs> Look at verse 17. It says, honor everyone. All commands in verse 17, four commands, two of them the same word. Honor everyone. Love the brothers and sisters. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Honor, love, and fear. We are to honor the emperor. That day was Nero. 
This day, it's the government we live on. We are to honor the government. But we don't mix those up and fear the government rather than fear God. We honor the emperor, but we love the brothers and sisters. Those who are in Christ, there's a special relationship that we have with them where we love one another, we sacrifice for one another, we are part of the same family. We sometimes even call us brothers and sisters using that type of language that's used in verse 17. We're family. Jesus said, by this will all men know that you are my disciples, by the love that you have for one another. That is to be the characteristic of this enclave of, the, of this future kingdom that's coming, known as Richland Baptist Church. We love one another in this particular expression of the kingdom, this outpost of the kingdom of Christ. But the highest allegiance, according to verse 17, honor the emperor, love one another, fear God and him alone. When there is a conflict of kingdoms, verse 17 tells us what to do. When there's a conflict of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world, our heart's desire is to honor the emperor, but we fear God alone. In Acts chapter 5, verses 28 and 29, it says, We strictly charged you to not teach in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. They threatened Peter and the apostles. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than man. That is our heart's desire, is ultimately our allegiance is to God. And our heart's desire is to live in peace in this kingdom of this world, to be able to love God and love our community as we see fit. But if there's ever a conflict, we must go with God rather than man. Now, there are times when the timing of that gets a little... We we debate on it, don't we? This past year, there were times when it was like, they're not really telling us not to preach the gospel, but when do we do it? Like in December when they said, thou shalt not sing. <laughs> we sang. <laughs> we tried to do it safely and with wisdom. A heart's desire is to not be rebels with and all that kind of thing. But you know what? We have an ultimate authority. And our ultimate authority is God. This is where we must pray for wisdom. As Christ-centered citizens, we don't go looking for times when we can rebel. That's not our heart's desire. (laughs) But our heart's desire is to have wisdom to know when the timing is right. And we must, at some point, have the willingness to say, we must obey God rather than man. Christ-centered citizens. How should we respond to this message? Let me encourage you. Be praying for our nation. Be praying that we continue to enjoy the freedoms that we enjoy and be able to share the gospel and be able to live out the gospel. Pray for our nation. Pray for good conversations to come back to our nation where we aren't just always angry at everybody, but that we can have decent conversations to discuss issues once again. Pray for that. Pray for a government that God would give them wisdom, that God would raise up leaders that uphold the purpose of government and people who understand that there is a right and there is a wrong. And finally, let me encourage you to live as Christ-centered citizens, loving this community and living the gospel out 
shining brightly for Jesus Christ right here in your own neighborhood, here in the Tri-Cities. Worry more about what goes on in your house. You can have a lot more effect about what goes on in your house than the White House <laughs> on a day-to-day basis. And we're not, we are concerned about what goes on in the White House, but I have a whole lot more effect about what happens at 6216 Shale Street and my cul-de-sac and my neighbors who don't know Christ. How am I shining the light in that cul-de-sac and how are you shining the light of Jesus in your street as well?